Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, Russell here. Um, we had another chat, Peter and I, with Mr. Robin Woolley and Mr. Raymond the Gent Wright um, on Thursday, the 15th of October. There was plenty to talk about. There was the PPV. There was Project Big Picture. There was loads of other bits of news and there was the Palace Preview to come. So we got together. We intended to have a three-part single episode, which we recorded. However, it's rather too much to put in one episode, so we decided to put it into two. So what you're going to hear now is episode 72, covering PPV and Project Big Picture. In episode 73, which will be released shortly afterwards, we will continue our discussion as we then get into the subject of all the other footy news of this week, um, including how Aaron Connolly has been getting on for Ireland, and news of Chris Hewton's appointment at his new club. Plus, we have the big preview of the Palace game. Sorry, I'm swearing again. There's the P word. So, that's coming up next, but here, first of all, is episode 72. Enjoy. Us. Feels like no time since the last one, funny enough. Yes, it's weird that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, we're not alone, and once again, we have two people with us, but we've gone back to more familiar territory after our Worthing episode recently. We now have back with us on his latest appearance, Raymond the Gent Wright. Hello, how are you, Raymond? I'm fine, thank you very much, Russell, and, and uh, looking forward to the rant this evening. I don't know what you think is going to happen here. Ranting about what? It was plenty of quiet show tonight. Yeah, it could be quite quiet, couldn't it? Mm. And we also have with us, returning again, a regular contributor, Mr Robin Woolley. Hello, Robin. Hi, guys. Good to be back. I've got my finest hey. ranting boots on this evening, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> now, can and I just it's... ask one question? Which is of the four of us is the odd man out? I think we're all pretty odd. Um, yeah, I was going to say, we are all pretty odd in our own way. Um, <laughs> uh, well, uh, you have Russell, you have Robin and Raymond, all... Oh, uh, yeah, Peter, yeah. Get uh, out, Pete, get Peter. out. Peter, the Peter, you're, <laughs> you're particularly odd, Peter. It's been decided. <laughs> I mean, that's often the case. 
One thing we're not odd men out in is drinking beer tonight. It appears we're all on that. It must be something to do with what's gone on in the news this week. Peter is on some Brewdog for... What, which one is it? Los Lagra. I think it's Brewdog. It's one of the bigger firms. Yeah. It's all I'm right. on Gypsy Hills. Gypsy Hills Hepcat, as usual. Robin's still got his endless supply of Heineken from a misorder a few weeks ago, I think. Um, yeah. And Raymond, Raymond is the discerning choice of the lot, really. He's on the Georgian Dragon brand uh, from Harvey's. I, I would maintain stuff. Hepcat's the discerning choice of the lot, having had a lot of it this summer. No, I'm being polite. Uh, the Hepcat's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Well, we're all here. We've all got our beers, so we're ready to go. What we're doing on this episode is a three-part special. First part is fairly brief. It'll be um, basically ranting about the pay-per-view uh, situation that cropped up this week. In our second part, we'll be talking about Project Big Picture, a.k.a. Project Bullshit, a.k.a. Project Big Six, as I'm calling it. In fact, I've mistyped it as Bog Six, which is uh, an interesting typo. I've just made down that yeah. in favour of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, we won't want to get too bogged down in that one, but we probably will. Um, part three, there's uh, other football news and uh, in, in Roundup. And, of course, we will be previewing the big match, the latest encounter with our old friends from the wrong end of the A23. Or we're, or we're all on the wrong end of the A23, but technically speaking, it's Crystal Palace. Sorry, I'm swearing already. Um, so we'll come to all that later on. Starting with pay-per-view. There's been quite a bit going on this week, news-wise, hasn't there? This is pretty much what kicked it off. Um, what's, what's transpired is they've come out with an announcement that it's going to be £14.95 to pay for any of the games that weren't originally scheduled with the broadcasters. Um, so any fans can pay for it, but it's on fourteen ninety five per match. Um, apparently, you don't get a refund if you get thrashed 5-0 by Spurs or anything like that, which I think is one issue. The price in general is definitely an issue. Um, who wants to rant about this first? Well, I, <laughs> Peter, I'll go. Your... Me, me, oh, me. me. Go. Uh, you go, Peter. <laughs> you go, you go. First, I'm, I'm going to be quite brief. I actually am not quite there. Yeah. The wind's been taken a little bit out of my sails by what happened on Tuesday night with the, club, the, uh, the Paul Barber um, Q&A. So I think, to be fair, it sounds like, assuming everything that he said is, is correct and all that, that sounds like they didn't have a, a great deal of choice. I agree that it's better to have pay-per-view and the option to have it, rather, people to watch games, rather than having no option. And I agree. And if it's the, the, the price has nothing to do with the clubs, fair enough. My question then is, why didn't they say that, rather than answering club fans quite bluntly and unnecessarily harshly when they were asking questions about it. And it's like, why, why can I not come out and say those things and say, well, we, we don't set the price. We don't have, we, it was option of pay-per-view or nothing. What could we do? Rather than basically accusing fans of wanting things for free for free and that sort of yeah. thing. Which is right. that's, a great, that's a great point to start with. Um, and I was okay. listening around at the time of these emails. Oh, I, I, I was listening to Price, Price of Football podcast with Kieran, and he was mentioning how the broadcasters had stipulated this price not the Premier League clubs. And I was thinking, this doesn't seem to be getting enough airing here. Not, not enough people seem to know this. He, he clearly knows it. Unless you're listening to that podcast. No, I couldn't hear anyone else mentioning it until on Tuesday I heard, uh, as you did, guys, the um, Paul Barber Q&A that was on Zoom, the, the latest in a number of excellent podcasts, uh, uh, Zoomcasts we've had, uh, where we've been able to uh, chat to the CEO. Um, well, one among Robin, us may have asked the first question as well. Yes, indeed. If I can just say one thing, I think is that Paul was saying, Paul Barber, on Tuesday, that when this pay-per-view came out, they had about half an hour's notice 
before it went public, mm. which is, I think, quite difficult yeah. and the questions are coming in. And I think that the broadcasters have a lot to answer for because they really should have given the clubs more notice so that they can prepare a statement so it can be better explained. And I don't think the broadcasters generally have um, sort of... They don't come out well on it, I don't think. No. I think they've rather grudgingly allowed all the matches at the end of last season because the government uh, insisted on it. And I think that they're always reacting um, to when pressure is, is put on them. A bit like the subject we're going to touch on later, uh, the two American-owned clubs up in the northwest of England, uh, when the pressure's mm -hmm. applied on them, you know, they've, they've backed off. So I think it's difficult to to do it, but Paul's explanation is good. I think his his view on, on the fact it is too pricey, which I would agree with, but the fact is that Brighton are going ahead with the fans' rebate. So at least people, if they can't get to the match, will get the money that would have been allocated against that match ticket back, which could help finance, or completely finance, the watching on pay-per-view TV if they wish to avail themselves of it. It's not as if it's credited, and if they don't watch it, they've lost the money. So I think it's yeah. good a view as any. I think that's a very good point, there, Raymond. And also, just to add to that as well, on the Q&A with Paul, he did, um, apart from being at pains to point out that he was very unhappy with the price points that, the, that have basically been dictated to the, to the clubs, um, and he was at pains to explain that it was dictated. They, they came up with the price. It was non-negotiable. They didn't even have a, the option to debate the matter. It was simply a case of, you can accept this, £14.95 will be the price that you will, that will be charged to fans, or you don't get anything at all. So it was, it was just a case of, do we vote to allow fans the option to, to pay, at least have a chance to, to watch it if they want, or they get no chance to watch it other than through illegal streaming, um, which is what I'll be doing, <laughs> um, allegedly. But... Um, you know, so so it was pretty poor form in general. The, the way it was handled, um, the price itself is definitely the big sticking point, isn't it? That's what most people, from surveys and discussions and communications that have gone on, is the big issue. It's the it's it's not so much the fact that they were going to charge for it. It's the fact that it's fourteen ninety five. I, I mean, in my head, I've got the fiver as a as a figure which I think would be reasonable. Um, BT Sport apparently today have been claiming that they would barely be able to break even if they put it on for that price. Um, they're barely think... breaking even putting it on for fourteen ninety five. They said they're barely covering yeah. their costs doing it. Yeah. So how are the club getting any money out of that anyway? Well, they're not going to then, presumably. Yeah. It's well, claims that we would. And I, I get maybe that's where they're coming from in terms of the, the cost of actually putting it on. But surely, if they were offered more games for their money in a TV game, they wouldn't turn it down generally as part of the normal package. So why are they turning it down now? Would, you know, it's, it seems really odd to me that surely if they agreed a deal whereby they showed it all the games Saturday, Sunday, 12, 2, 4, 6 and 8, because they can't really do Mondays now with Europe, and then had a four, yes, a five game Saturday, five game Sunday, and there's no fans travelling to games at the moment anyway, so they have all the games on, and then fit around their, their, their TV ones. I don't understand how they lose. They get more audiences, they could charge more for advertising than if they were doing like post-match stuff and that sort of thing. It just seems a really odd... I mean, surely they get more money for advertising in the middle of a live game, so they can make up their money through that sort of thing or that ton of it. It just seems yeah. really, you know, kind of way of running a business. Yeah, it's so. a morbid, what, 
What's your take on it overall, Robin? Because you were going to say something earlier. Um, yeah, you, I agree with Pete. I mean, I'm not against the idea of pay-per-view by any means at all. Um, what I did think was a bit a bit strange was that the way that the the club and Paul Barber kind of approached it initially, which as Pete referenced, was to be very bullish with the fans. And I think the tone, I know that these there's a difference between what Paul Barber writes in a private email to a fan and what he writes in a press release. But this was the first time I've ever seen something that I would say is naivety from him. Because he's got to... He must know that these things... Yeah, he knows that these emails are going to end up, you know, online, particularly if there's something, you know, particularly if it's a divisive subject. And actually, I've emailed him a couple of times on different things, and I've seen other emails from him that have been put on Twitter and NSC before. And basically, the tone has always been exactly the same as you get in a press release. Obviously, it's written in a slightly, you know, more personal way, but actually, you know, the, the underlying tone is the same. But for this to come out and basically say, fans want everything for free... When at that point, and this is the crucial bit, at that point, they hadn't actually confirmed that they were going to be refunding fans before they were having to pay for pay-per-view. That was the first bit. So obviously, there was, we were, fans weren't wanting anything for free. They just didn't like the idea of paying potentially three times for the same thing. If, you're pay, if you've paid for your season ticket and you've paid for your Sky and BT subscription and then you've got to pay for pay-per-view on top, that was a bit much. So actually, there didn't seem to be an awful lot of um, acknowledgement of the fans' positions when it came to that. The second thing is that one of the things that Paul said on on Tuesday to kind of, I'm paraphrasing it, but he basically said, you know, the refund plan can't be worked up in just a couple of days. Fair enough. I'll give him that. However, the defence that he used in a lot of the emails to fans was, we've said several times over the last few months that no fan will be out of pocket for money that they've already paid for tickets. So therefore, why, have they, why was this refund plan not come up with months ago then? It seems a bit coincidental that it suddenly rushed out within two days of this whole storm he, coming about. I think he did answer that, actually, Robin. I'm not saying it's a satisfactory answer, but what he said was that as a result of the test they had on the, in the Chelsea Friendly and how well that went and the positive feedback he got from the department, that he was confident that we would be getting some fans back in from early October, which at the time of September you know, was the stated intention. From oh, yeah, and that's absolutely fair enough. I think what they could have done at the time is to have worked up to say as a contingency, by the, you know, our plan is obviously to get as many fans back as possible and we're going to do the ballot system, et cetera, et cetera. But if for any reason, you know, all the games end up being behind closed doors, here's a rough example of how we'll do it, rather than just sort of quite generally saying, oh, no one will be out of pocket. That's my only gripe with it, is it seems yeah. that they got it slightly the wrong way. But the wording of the whole, that football fans always want something for free, really, really great with a lot of people. I think that we are Brighton site was the whole thing about all the times Brighton fans have put their hands in their pockets. Though. Yeah, and I think... I think Paul Barber would probably, I think, I think when he's reading that email back, I obviously don't want to put words in his mouth, but I would imagine he might regret using that Of all the sets sentence. of fans to say that to, really, really don't, you know. Also, a set of fans who travelled for two years to Gillingham for home games and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Not a, we're not the club who have got, like, fans who just demand something for nothing. No, exactly. At times when we were putting money in, yeah. fans were putting additional money in when they knew the club didn't have anything. Whereas now, yeah. you know, you get a hundred odd million quid every year from a TV money from TV money. Yeah. Well, so also a lot, a, a lot of fans are struggling financially. You know, it's like yeah, it's like, exactly. 
the club are the only ones struggling in the world. They must have been exactly. You know. But that's why I think if they'd have actually been a bit, obviously this this pay per view thing has take, took them slightly by surprise. But if you've been working on the idea that probably you know might have to have a backup plan when it comes to refunds, or even if on the day Paul Barber had said instead of saying what he said, if he had said, look, you know, before anyone is going to have to pay fourteen ninety five to watch a game, we will outline how you will get your refund so that you won't be paying. Even if you disagree with that, you could say, I, he could have said, I understand that fans might not like the idea of having to, in theory, pay multiple times for the same product. Therefore, I can tell you that we will work out some kind of mechanism whereby you'll have a refund either before you've got to start paying for pay-per-view or very soon after. And then fans would have gone, OK, fair enough. We don't know the details now, but we know that we're going to get some money back, not just credit. We're going to get some money back that's going to enable us to buy the games if we want. That's all they could. They could have done that, and that would have, I think, avoided a lot of the aggro. Even just say, just saying what we said at the beginning that he said that you know the club didn't have any say on the price, and it was pay per view or nothing. That that yeah. literally would have cut any sort of criticism in the club off. It might have led to criticism of BT and Sky, but the club. He just said, "Well, I've given the chance to allow fans to watch the games for yes, for an expensive price, but or not, and I, and I chose the former, and that's yeah. that, that's all he needed to say. Even then, I mean." The refund thing could have even just been covered a note saying we will get back to you soon with more information about refunds even or something. Yeah, like yeah. it was just the fact that it was the first time I've ever seen him go on the defensive yeah. and in a mm. quite a kind of unhelpful way, really. That's why I said, and then it was quite interesting that the press release that obviously came out with the Q&A bit, the tone couldn't have been any different. Mm. So to me, there's obviously, he, he has obviously either realised that he got the tone slightly wrong or there have been other people within the club that might have said, I think you might want to revisit how you communicated that. And this well, is, I mean, I think... to be fair, the peril, I mean, this is the perils of getting involved in replying to fans, isn't it? It's yeah. the other side of this. I mean, I don't, we've always said it's very open and honest that, you know, as the CEO of a, of a effectively a hundred, you know, a multi hundreds of millions of pound business that he, that you basically can be a customer and email him directly. I know if he's customer in the worst possible way here, as a, you know, in terms of this, but as far as this goes, you know, to actually email the CEO and get a reply, a detailed reply, not just a, I'll get someone to get back to you with that. Thanks for getting in touch, you know, kind of point by point thing. So I think, I, I mean, I hope it doesn't change his attitude when it comes to replying to fans, but I think it is one of the things you've got to accept that you've got to be very careful with the way that you reply to fans, if you're going to get into that way of doing things, which obviously he's been yeah. doing for however many years. I think agree. It certainly sounded from, I, I didn't really follow much of what was going on with the email reply. So I'll bow to your better knowledge on that one, but it certainly sounds like there's a rare misstep, but uh, from a guy who generally has been exceptionally good in. Yeah. That was the other thing. I think it's the first time. That's what I say. It's yeah. the first time I can, I've said naivety. That might not be the right word for a bit. It's the first time I've ever, in the things that I've read from him, but it does seem to be a mm. bit of a, it's almost like he's rushed into it. He's kind of let emotion, he's probably got the email and been slightly annoyed by the tone of the fan. And normally, obviously, he's able to respond to it in a kind of, you know, dispassionate kind of business-like way. And it just, I'm obviously, he might be wrong. This just seems like he's let perhaps, his, his kind of his emotion in the situation has come, has been 
you sort of injected into the reply slightly. I mean, we're all human. You know, we've all said, mm. you've all been moments, obviously, you know, a stressful I'll, day I'll where be, they've had PPV. Well, most uh, of us are, I think. <laughs> Can I, I should just, two comments. I think, I think one of the important things is that we've got to the right place now, even if the, yeah. if, if the road to getting there was perhaps not the best. The other thing is actually that Paul sometimes, and he's got so much on his plate, but sometimes he isn't able to perhaps sort of separate out the future from the now, if I can put it that way. And Russell would have seen an exchange of emails I had with Paul way back in early September, where I was saying I thought it was going to be very important if we didn't get back or we only had reduced fans back to be able to keep the broadcast going. And I thought that that was important, some sort of deal. And Paul said, well, it's very difficult because of the money. We'd have to go back. I had in my original letter said, you know, subject to the financial arrangements. And uh, I went back on that and just said that I didn't think the fans were necessarily behave brilliantly. Not most of them would, but not all of them. And obviously he really, he, he was so focused on trying to get fans back that he, wasn't really addressing what would happen if the fans didn't get back, which is, in fact, now what has happened. Um, so his, his horizons, because of the volume and work that he's got, are much, more, much shorter term, I think. Not saying he doesn't do good long-term planning, they, he does with the board. But I think some everyday things that come up, he's not necessarily looking beyond the next few weeks because of the unique situation that we're in at the moment and things changing as we talk I mean since we Russell and I talked this afternoon just very briefly and talked about Ars Wenger's view on the big picture of the next section the whole Gary Neville thing has come out and that panel and, and what their view is and the people who are going to be involved with it so things are literally changing every three or four hours which is very difficult so in his defence I say it's difficult but I think he's having so many balls to field that it's difficult for him to be able to think in the same depth, perhaps, that the rest yeah. of us are one particular aspect of all the things he's dealing with. That's probably a good point. So coming up um, daily, if not hourly, podcasts, uh, stay tuned. Uh, <laughs> no, um, going back to your point, Raymond, about um, fan behaviour and wanting to make sure that you, you can come up with some arrangements that prevent... Um, shall we say, the enticement of, of bad behaviour by fans that might be inclined to do so. One of the other problems with this, and it relates to PPF, uh, PPV, is um, the price point. Putting it at £15, effectively, um, you are likely to encourage people to gather together because no individual, I think, is going to, or very few individuals, would happily pay £15 blind for a game, which could be a dreadful match. Um, you know, us against West Brom could be a bore draw, for example. Um, do we really want to pay £15 for it? For that, um, well, Paul Barber, Russell, Paul Barber has actually said, I, and I, I saw him quoted in the Argus, I think, the other day, of saying, you know, if, if he appreciates not everybody could afford to pay the £15, so perhaps yeah. one person pays for it and a couple of other people go in and watch it with him. Yeah, which again, on, on record, and having said, now they can't so, do that. So, so you actually share the cost between the three of you, so we all pay five or each. And I mean, you and I talked about that actually. Just the other day, Russell, you know, 
Um, but the than... problem with that is it's, it's causing people to then travel, possibly on public transport, which would be the case if I did that with, with you, for example, um, unnecessary journeys, so to speak, um, in the nicest possible sense, obviously. But, you know, in terms of actually getting to see the game, it's an unnecessary journey. And also, frankly, if, if you're travelling, the 15 quid you save, actually, you're not saving that much of it. Exactly. Unless it's yeah, like, it costs me several But I, I, yeah. I imagine he was thinking of people who live... You know, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. in Brighton now, but it wouldn't be okay in London after today's announcement. So, yeah. and it's encouraged. It would encourage people to potentially get together in greater numbers than they should, in the same way that um, not allowing people to to go to games might do in general. Um, I think there's problems attached. The other thing yeah, that I really we all pay sorry, you know, 30, 35, 40 quid to go and see a game that could be a dreadful nil nil. People, when it comes mm. to a team, I don't think they're that bothered. Yes, you're not going to go and pay to watch Brighton West Brom if you're a anyone else fan probably unless mm. you're really desperate but you're not what you are a lot of Brighton fans will because they want to watch their team and you know Brighton, a lot of football fans go a long way and pay a lot of money to watch their team but they do I that on the basis that they, they get the emotional involvement they get the social they get the day out it's it's not just about the football is it I guess it's, it isn't it's but issue. it's still yeah, but then why do people pay for Sky Box and for BT and that sort of thing you know people pay a mm. lot of money to watch football on TV an extra 15 quid to maybe watch their team. I mean, it depends, of course, as well. If it's Manchester United fan, they have, like, one game to pay for two months. They probably well, will. This is part of, if you're yeah. a Brighton fan, exactly. you can play, like, two or three games a month. It gets a lot more expensive. We get the raw deal. Not, not only do Man United and Liverpool support good teams that generally, not Man United at the moment, but generally are doing well and they will tend to win matches. Um, first of all, if they did have to pay for stuff, there's a, a greater or there's a lesser risk that they would be disappointed with the outcome in that game they pay for. They Secondly, as you just said, they've got to pay less because they've already got their games as part of the premium selections by the broadcasters in the original deal. So Liverpool, for example, um, for this, this proposed package coming up now, would pay zero extra to see their teams because all their games are already scheduled. Yeah. And they've already got the benefit of supporting a team that is in happy times and are doing well. Um, we have less chance of winning each game. It's, it's, it's more of a... Uh, ambiguity to whether we'll get a result and yeah and we've got to pay more often for it because we're not already on the box so that's already unfair I mean it's unfair anyway under the original broadcasting arrangements but this makes it even more unfair for the Burnleys the Brightons the Palaces the Southamptons who aren't on TV at all in the three next three games who are going to have to pay 45 quid yeah. for team in the next three games and why should they? Um, why should they pay more? It's um, that's where it's unfair because you're yeah. you're exploiting the affinity that somebody has for their club. They'll they'll pay against logical, should we say, the logical choice. On the other hand, they should be honoured the big six Dane to play them twice a season. So you know, mm. they what, what I believe and honoured and you know, etc. What, what mm. I don't know is what the I follow figures are. I I actually watch the. Uh, uh, my sort of second club these days now is is at AFC Wimbledon, and I got sort of season tickets for it. So, unfortunately, this season if we get back, then lot at home on the same weekends as Brighton are. So that's good. Um, but I watched a very entertaining game on iFollow, four all draw um, between Wimbledon and uh, and sort of Portsmouth or something. And it was uh, I can't even remember who, who the opposition was, but it was a good game. And mm. for entertainment value, you know, you couldn't fault it. I was disappointed Wimbledon, having been behind, got ahead for uh, four two, and then uh, ended up drawing four all. But it was uh, certainly value yeah. for money. But I do think that 
what they're proposing, from what Paul Barber was saying, is seven or eight cameras uh, actually covering the game would be a much superior production to what I followed it, where it's just the one camera. But it wouldn't be more superior to match of the day's highlights coverage, surely. Haven't they already got the cameras there? Can't they collaborate? Yeah, okay. if it's also, match of the day won't cover West Brom game. It's Monday at 5.30 or whatever. Ridiculous. Oh, time. that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair point. Hmm. But, I mean, fair I, I think, I, I still think people will pay for it. I'm kind of tempted. I'll see probably how I feel near the times. But I'll probably see how Palace game is, to be honest. If we're terrible against Palace, <laughs> I won't bother. If we do okay against Palace, then, you know. Don't even think it, Peter. We're not going to be terrible against Palace. Stop that. <laughs> um, what so, I, Raymond, what about you? What, are you, are you inclined? What I don't it's with Virgin. You might know that. Well, so how do I get the Sky box office thing on there? I phoned up Virgin. The guy I spoke to hadn't got a clue. So I said, how do I get to BT box office and Sky box office to be able to do this? He, he didn't actually know what I was talking about when I talked about Sky box office and BT box office. He had to go off and ask a manager. He came back and he said, oh, well, you can download either the Sky Go app or something, or you can go on their website. I actually got zero help from them. So yeah. uh, how easy it will be to actually access it. That's when, useful. I mean, for yeah. people who well, are with Virgin, I don't know. Well, clearly you're thinking about possibly going, uh, signing up for it, Raymond, if well, subject to those practicalities. But how, how, in, how inclined are you to, to pay, if you were just paying £15 to watch on your own, how inclined would you be to do that? Would you oh, pick I and choose? Would, get them all I'd or? probably still do it. Uh, Russell, but uh, because it's still, I mean, one of the ways I look at it is if going down and, and back on the train for two of us, for the sake of argument, is for Jane and I, is uh, something like 20 quid. So I'm still saving a fiver and a minimum on, on doing that. Given that I've, I've signed up for, on the home games for the programme, that's coming to me anyway. So, um, you know, I, I'm not spending any other money. Yes, I'm drinking a harvest, uh, but I could do that at home. So I'm not actually really out of pocket. <laughs> I think yeah. the other thing well, spurious ar- argument, but um, I know. think what else might affect their their viewing figures is if we actually went back to pretty much lockdown again. If we did that, then I reckon they, their viewing figures would go through the roof. Well, well, I am on record. They wouldn't be spending it elsewhere at the club. They'd be wanting to do something to get occupy their time, so they'd pay for football, and it would be like. Well, I, I did actually say, I, I'm on record twice of having said I think we should go into lockdown before uh, it came out about what the scientific advice was. One I did it on a, uh, one of our sessions after, uh, I think, our last match against Everton. And I think I said, you know, I, I thought we should go into a hard shot lockdown. We'd better we get fans back quicker. I actually put it in writing to Paul Barber. Uh, well, I... I I actually think that we would, if we could get the incidents done, the government would be more inclined to let the fans go to stadia. But when it's up where it is now, they won't. I, I still so think it, you're probably more like better off writing to your MP or to someone like that rather than Paul Barber. Yes, he has a lot of control over certain things, but I think zero control over lockdown. Yeah. Oh, and absolutely. Um, but it's only if he's talking to the department or he is talking to other uh, sort of CEOs saying, would we not be better off having a short, sharp thing? The fact that the scientists, as it turns out, had got there before I had and had advised the government on about 22nd, 23rd of September 
that that would be the best way ahead to attack the virus is uh, perhaps coincidental or not coincidental. Or perhaps it was just the thought I had was common sense and what they were applying was common sense. But uh, I don't do joined up thinking Boris Johnson. Um, you know, obviously it isn't common sense to him because he, I'm not sure he's got the sense and he would like to think he's not common. So, um, well, to, to round up the um, the first part of this pod, um, actually, I was going to get onto the subject of the government and and the fact that they uh, the policies just seem ridiculous. We've we've heard about uh, cinemas being allowed to show football matches. Uh, we've heard about the Palladium putting on events, uh, Royal Albert Hall, various other things. Were the large finger event the other day was like a lot of people there. Yeah, that was at the Palladium, wasn't it? I think that one was yeah. it. Yeah, and, and all these things have got large numbers of people um, are allowed to go into an enclosed space. Um, in city centres, um, so it's not as if they're in quiet areas that can be easily managed. Um, there's clusters of people go- turning up in and outside those buildings, and yet football fans, in even in tiny numbers, are not allowed to come into games. It's ridiculous. The government are making an embarrassment of themselves. They've um, what's his name? Is it Dowden or whatever his name is? Um, oh. is yeah, he's he's trying to. He sort of seems to be trying to be an apologist for the government's policy. And it's, uh, it's ridiculous. Why aren't they allowed? It's strangling clubs, particularly the smaller clubs, lower down the, the leagues, who are just not able to function. They're That's being told... Going back to the yeah. factory and her government and you know, that sort of exactly. thing. They aren't exactly, probably before that, they're not exactly a big football fans. So it's a situation, situation where you could... Could... I think part Sorry, of the problem is the actual numbers going to a football match. I mean, let's go to the other extreme. You've got 72,000 people going to watch Manchester United. The, the local cinema down the road in Manchester might have a couple of hundred. I think that's the problem. And that may be one of the reasons why some of the, the non-league clubs down, down the thing, the equivalent of the Eastman League and things like that, were able to have crowds attending before this latest batch of changes and people in the Premier League weren't. I think it's the whole concentration and share volume of numbers that might be influencing them. But oh, I'm putting thoughts, thoughts into their mind. I may be wrong. Yeah, maybe. I mean, my answer to that, though, is that why don't the clubs be requested or offered the opportunity to have test events like Brighton did uh, and, also, and also as other clubs did in the, um, the beginning of this season in the Championship and elsewhere, um, allow them to have the test events, allow them to prove that they're able to put on an event with no significant issues, which was the case with Brighton's friendly with Chelsea. And on that basis, allow that number or a number around that figure to be allowed in. If subsequent problems occur, yeah, shut them down by all means or give them a warning or whatever. But it seems ludicrous to me that you can gather inside where there's far greater risk of spreading a disease like this than there is outside. And... Well, there might be teething problems, there might be practical problems in certain stadiums with the approachways and other stuff like that. Brighton have proved that they can put that on with two and a half thousand. So at the very least, why don't they let Brighton carry on putting it on with two and a half thousand and let other clubs do the same should they be able to prove through a test event that they can do so? It seems ridiculous to me. The other thing is you could you could go to a stadium and you could watch a game with the curtains drawn right next to where the match is taking place watching on a screen. You're allowed to do that. <laughs> How is that sensible? Ridiculous. Oh, well, I, th- I, th- I think your point is 
well-made one because if you start with the two and a half thousand that, that you're talking about, you could then implement, you know, up it because a fortnight between games probably, uh, and therefore no, you'll get a feedback on any problem. The next match could be three thousand and so on. <coughs> no, sorry, excuse me, but I think that's a good point, Russell. Thank you. Oh, cheers. Well, at that point, we're going to break for the first part conclusion <coughs> um, um, because I need to keep my rant juices flowing for part two when we'll be talking about good old project big picture. Um, stay tuned for that. That's coming up very shortly. Until then, stand or fall up the Albion. One. Hello and welcome back to part two of this episode, where we are now going to really flex our ranting muscles as we talk about Project Big Picture, or as I've called it, Project Bullshit slash Project Big Six. Um, this was wonderful news off the back of the PPV information, wasn't it, that came out earlier in the week, guys? Essentially, um, it was a leaked um, article, I think, or a leaked, a leaked report sort of, um, that took the form of an article from Sam Wallace in The Telegraph who was reporting that Liverpool had instigated a plan to, well, a proposal for the Premier League, um, which involved a £250 million bailout for the EFL, but also, essentially, it was going to involve the voting rights changing, essentially the constitution of the Premier League, as it was when it was formed in 1992, to be changed, so that rather than having two-thirds majority, one vote per, per club, they were going to change it to nine clubs of value. The rest don't have a vote. And six of those nine, i.e. two-thirds, would be, well, exactly the figure that makes up the big six. That seemed to be the way of things. There were other proposals, some good ideas, some bad ideas in there. Um, part of the rest of it was the abolition of the League Cup, as we know it, and getting also rid of the Community Shield, formerly known as the Charity Shield. Um, but it was involving a structured plan for the future for EFL clubs, a, a, a stronger basis for continued support. That's essentially what it was all about. Forgive me if I've missed anything out. Please feel free in your rants to, uh, to point anything out that I haven't mentioned. Um, is everyone else spitting feathers about this? Because I know I am. There's before so we... many reasons I despise this. Um, the before bailout obviously that, not being one of them. Can I ask a question? They, yeah. they came up with this idea, whatever, they, whatever the rights and wrongs of it, how on earth did they think they were going to get two-thirds majority vote from the Premier League board to actually get this through? Exactly. I don't think they did, Peter. I have to, I'm, I'm sure there is more to this. I don't think it's gone away. And I think that they uh, are trying to focus people's attention on one thing with a view to coming up with something else that is different and uh, which people will then buy into because they've rejected the first one. Mm. It's a classic theatrical thing where you, you put the audience's uh, focus on one part of the stage, but actually you have the murder going on in a different part of the stage, for yeah, example. There's a, there's a number of things that are certainly not a coincidence about this. First of all, it was instigated by Liverpool. Manchester United um, jumped on board with it as well. Former Liverpool chief executive Rick Parry, who is now uh, the boss of the EFL board, um, who was chief executive at Liverpool when the breakaway Premier League happened, um, has clearly had his fingers in this pie for a while as well. Apparently, the plans have been in the offing for about three years, and it's clearly led by Liverpool and Man United, who are both not only the two biggest clubs 
by far in this country, with the possible exception of Arsenal as a, as a, as a runner-up for third. The, these two clubs are the biggest clubs in the country. They're amongst the biggest clubs in the world. They have billionaire American ownership. Um, they have owners that haven't been long-term owners. Well, not very long-term anyway. Um, and the timing uh, seems to me incredibly cynical, both in terms of the perilous state that the EFL clubs, particularly in the lower reaches, are in, um, partly due to COVID, but not entirely. And the cynical timing, you could say, for when this leak happened. Was it a leak or was it a quote marks leak? Who knows? And um, on top of that, you have the situation where it's just, um, as, as Raymond said, it's clearly just the timing is, is thrown in to get the debate going. Um, as you said, you, you start with the bargaining position. They've clearly wanted the bargaining position to start. They've known that they're not going to get the ridiculous stuff that they're hoping for, but they're hoping to get some of the things. And they're hoping to change the parameters of the negotiation by doing so. Um, seems very cynical to me. What I particularly don't like and object to is the fact that the EFL clubs are, in some cases, weeks away from peril, weeks away from doom, we're told, and you can believe it. Um, but if we reject this, the Premier League as a whole, um, I say we because we're Albion fans, um, those clubs that aren't in, the, in that selected nine, and in particular in the top six, who vote against it, um, are going to be seen to be the harbingers of doom for the EFL lower league clubs. They are desperate for the money. £250 million is the figure that was proposed in the initial, um, in, this, in this leaked information. And the figure that is now being proposed as a result of a Premier League meeting, which took place since the, uh, during this week. Um, well, yesterday. It's now £50 million. So they've vastly reduced what the EFL clubs were starting to get their hopes up about. That's one thing that's objectionable. And the fact that the Premier League clubs who have voted against it would be seen as guys who are, well, signing the death warrants, potentially, of those clubs. I'm, We've been put in that position by that. Liverpool and Sorry, I don't, I don't think anyone's suggesting that the Premier League clubs are... I think everyone understands their position. It's a, it is an obvious power, such an obvious power grab. Yes, it may be they come back with something, but I don't, I've not seen any comment. All I've seen is this is disgraceful. The, the clubs who suggested it should be ashamed of themselves. Even West Ham, who are notionally in the, the nine, came out pretty quickly and said we were absolutely against mm -hmm. this because they obviously realised that the nine is a, is a fraud. What I didn't understand, though, is that you have nine clubs who are the big clubs. How do they... What happens if they go down or whatever and they decide something? If you... Why not why not eight? We know why not ten because of the majority thing, but why not eight, for example? Yeah. It just to make make it seem like they're being um pacifying. You exactly two thirds then, so you can extend it as yeah. far as you possibly can to Yeah. What we should what we should say at this point before we go Robin. on any further, we should mention there was a Premier League meeting that took place yesterday, and as a result of that meeting it was roundly uh, voted out. In fact, it was, to quote, unanimous. So Liverpool and Man United have actually voted against their own proposal, um, which is interesting. It's all obviously part of the negotiation process, isn't it, ultimately? But, um, I mean, there was no doubt that that was going to get voted against. Um, there, was, there was word spreading uh, through the grapevine that none of the Premier League clubs had any particular taste for this as it stood. Um, we certainly know Paul Barber didn't from his Q and A on Tuesday. I would have thought and any Championship club with ambitions in the Premier League wouldn't either. It's, yeah, you know, maybe yeah. the lower end champion. It sounds like a lot of the lower leagues were quite keen because they get the money in the short term and they maybe don't care about Premier League because you know a lot of the yeah. 
don't necessarily think they'll ever get there. But I would have said any top-end championship or even middle championship side who had any ambition to get into the Premier League would be wholly against the plan. Yeah, I think were in favour of of the proposal or a form of it. That's yeah. Sorry, but what I'm going to say is I'd like to come back on a number of those points, but I'd like to hear what Robin has to say first. Um, I I find the whole the thing that bothers me the most about this is the timing of it. Is that they've obviously seen that the you know EFL clubs are effectively backs against the wall, really. So they've tried to swoop in at this point. And actually, I think that the Premier League should just be giving the EFL a bailout without really any strings attached. Mm. To be honest, given the amount of money they've got swilling around, even in the, well, either in the Premier League kind of central coffers or the Premier League clubs as a whole. I mean, that's, you've got to say that out of the 20 clubs in the Premier League now, how many of them have not been in the EFL in recent memory? Yeah. Six, probably. Yeah. Six or seven, yeah, maybe. Yeah. So they've all yeah. been in the EFL in the last, well, at least probably 15 years. They've all been there. You know, yeah. some, some lower than others, but, you know, they've all been in there. And actually, they, I think... This is an extraordinary time, but I, 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 it's sort of, you know, when it's convenient, people bang on about the football family. When it's convenient, and it doesn't actually mean putting your money in your, you know, your hand in your pocket. When it's a PR stunt or a PR line, it's very easy for all clubs to come together and band towards, you know, for example, like without being cynical about it, you know, the kind of the anti-racism stuff. That's very easy for, for everyone to get involved with because it doesn't really involve a massive outlay, does it? I'm not saying they're just paying lip service to it, but you know what I mean? It's not a, it's not a massive kind of logistical or financial you know, outlay for them to get involved in it. So when it's actually something which is, you know, has a financial cost attached to it and it has clubs on the line, my personal view is that they should be giving them a bailout without it needing a power grab on the other side. Yeah, I, I agree. But they never do anything for free, do they? I mean, was it, was it not that, that few years ago where the Premier League insisted on academy status being basically yeah. all of the, the young you know, lower league players from youth players with virtually nothing went in exchange for some money or something, you know, they don't... Yeah, it's because it's because EFL clubs expect everything for free, don't they? Yeah, apparently. <laughs> can I just, in which case, thank you, Robin, for that, because that's, I think, worthwhile. I think the timing is very insidious. I think they, the timing is, they know perfectly well there are loads of clubs drowning. And the expression I've used elsewhere, uh, and I'll use again, is if you throw a drowning man a rope, he's going to grab it, even if it isn't in his best interest. So I think a lot of the EFL clubs just thought, we want the money, This is and the ongoing 25% that was dangled in front of them. And you can dangle the 25% now, but if you're one of nine clubs who controls it, well, that can become 2% tomorrow. So, you know, we've... Um, I mean, look what happened with the Chinese TV deal. They agreed a price, they paid part of it, hadn't paid all of it, they just didn't pay the rest of it, and the PL have had to um, go and find another shooter because of that. So you can't, certain people you can't negotiate with because you can't trust them. And Bostonians have a track record, as we were discussing before we, uh, we opened this evening, and, you know, I, I just think it's, it's invidious, but... Coming back to what the offer is on the table, my understanding, and I haven't got all the facts, is that first of all, over 27 million has already been advanced to the EFL. That's point one. That's already happened. The proposal now is 50 million, 
But my understanding is that the PL clubs are excluding the championship clubs from that because they want to think more about the championship clubs. And the championship clubs, what they're worried about is there are various different clubs like Preston, amongst others, who have billionaire owners. And I think they're saying, hold on, we've got a billionaire owner. Why do we have to bail out a club with a billionaire owner? You know, give him another four million or something. If, if he's a billionaire and he's bought this, that and the other, he, he doesn't actually need the extra money. We want to make sure that the money, I think is implied, goes to the clubs that really need it. Uh, yeah, that's a very fair point. That is a very fair point to come back and to. What, what, uh, there's now been a thing, supposedly unanimous in the EFL, saying, no, you've got to give it to all the clubs or none of them. Well, my reaction is, well, we'll give it to none of you. Um, but you know, I, I think they've got to understand that there are clubs that really do need it. I guess the sort of crawlers of this world and other clubs. Uh, Wimbledon, AFC Wimbledon, for example, is owned by its fans. <coughs> That's a good example. <coughs> there isn't a billionaire owner in sight. Um, so I think they've got to be able to think about the championship where the whole economics of the championship club is different from League One and League Two. I, I think the, the final sum should be larger, but I think 50 million as a, as a starter is over a million quid to each of those 20, 48 clubs. And I think that is worthwhile. What I do think that this has raised and brought to the forefront, and this is the one, the one real positive, is it's brought the debate up into the public consciousness. And we cannot go on necessarily, as Wenger said, with 92 clubs, it's just not sustainable. And I think we probably need to go down to, again, it probably be terribly unpopular, but I think four divisions of 20 clubs as a full professional league, and that you have two top semi-professional leagues, Premier uh, National League, Premier North, National League, Premier South or East and West, whatever you want, and you expand that so you go up to a total of 128 clubs and that the National League Premier Divisions also get some of the money, the new ones I'm proposing, and that the League Cup, the early rounds, and I haven't sat down and had time to work it out yet, but you don't bring in the Premier and Championship clubs until about round four or well down the line. So it becomes an important competition for them. Perhaps they play in groups of four, and then have, uh, or groups of five, and then they move forward. The winners go forward to, towards the latter stages. But revamp the League Cup so it becomes more meaningful for the, for the lower divisions. So they don't lose fixtures, even though they've gone down to only 38 matches a season. That's made up by the League Cup. Keep the charity shield. I think that's important. It's not just the raising of money. Just say, well, we'll give you know the FA... 100 million for, cha uh, for charity isn't the point. It's an event to go to. And if you the ability to go to Wembley doesn't come across to most people, unless you were a Spurs supporter a couple of years ago, every day of the week. And therefore, it's the event and going to it. It's not just the raising of the money. Incidentally, as a Brighton supporter, it's the only major trophy that we've ever won. Back in other, of course, the teams who are in the will have been there quite a lot because, well, one of them by definition will have been there the previous season because they'd have won the FA Cup. And the other one's going to win the league, so probably would have been there as well. I, I 
I, und- I, can, I mean, your proposal is interesting. I understand where you're coming from. I have real concerns about splitting it between semi-professional and professional leagues because what happens if you're in a semi-professional league, then you go up, then you're professional, then, leagues, you, go prof- then you go then down you- again, you're semi-professional. That's not how it, that's a really, really tough ask, which is why half the teams in the National League currently are professional. So you, you'd not just lose 12 professional teams from the league, you'd lose 12 or 15 from the conference currently, the National League as well. And that's a lot of clubs to lose, effectively, in terms of making them semi-professional. That's, that's why I'm trying to make the, 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 those two top divisions um, of equal status and make them uh, get some of the money so that they can develop more properly. Uh, I, just, I think it needs a radical rethink. I mean, I'm throwing out one suggestion. Neville and his crowd, Gary Neville, all his people, Denise Lewis, all sorts of people are going to be involved. Um, in, in that, Bernstein, who is uh, involved, I mean, there's a panel of about nine or ten people, will come up with others. I think the important thing is to have a debate and for it to be open and honest, but it does need restructuring. What Wenger also said, which I thought was important, he couldn't believe, um, as I think the author's trying to say, well, this was not really a plan, it was an idea. Well, I don't know, Robin, if you've ever produced uh, just an idea that runs to a 17-page document. But when I was in marketing, I certainly didn't. If I was producing something of that depth, of at least that sort of depth, if not more, I mean, that was a properly thought-out plan. If I was just putting up a, a, an idea for discussion, I might put that on two or three pages, A5, four pages. So I yeah. think they get that, their idea on two pages at most, uh, better still on one page. So yeah, I, you're exactly right. I mean, you see a lot of business plans which are shorter than <laughs> just shorter than that, to be honest. <laughs> but it should be. It, yeah, it's it's clearly it's not just an idea, is it? It was and, it was a fairly said, well formed um, document. Yeah, I mean, Paul Butler said it's version seventeen. I think it went to version eight. Yeah. It has to be said if we're talking about if if, if you took Raymond's idea and it was eighty team league of pro teams, Albion would have gone semi-professional for at least three or four years of that and possibly gone bust because they couldn't maintain it in that level. So we mm. might not have a club under your proposals. Yeah, I, 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 mean, I think be the lower league clubs to decide. Uh, no, but the whole environment was different. I mean, ignoring COVID and everything. Mm. I think the environment when we almost went out of the league was different. It didn't have all the, you know, the, the broadcasting money and everything else. The Premier League had not ha- you know, it was only just in its early days and you know, during the Gillingham years. And I think you know, things were different. I think they were yeah, very different. 15 million by that point. There was still a big gulf between the Premier League and other... Maybe not as much as it is now, but it was still a big gulf. I think my, having watched a lot of lower league football, I think there'd be a lot of people who would be very angry if we reduced, significantly reduced the league and also made teams go to professional at National League level. Having watched a lot of football at that level with Barnet and also Boreham Wood and other teams, I think it would be... It would, it would be to the detriment of the game longer term, personally, is my view. If I, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. There's too many traditions embedded and there's so many clubs down there who are very aspirational, all proportionally within their divisions they're in, who are trying to get up uh, divisions. We were talking about Worthing uh, the other day. They're obviously trying to get into the National League system. That's the next step. And I guess they would like to get into the league longer term. There's, there's hundreds of clubs up and down the country who, in their various guises, are trying to get to a different level that is above where they are. And it's about having aspirational possibility, isn't it? Um, it's about having a reachable goal being 
being there and, and i think if you streamline it too much there is a danger it's got some some good merits to it but i'm, yeah. I'm not sure i mean i think they're just looking at it from the wrong well i mean this is my pete will find this very bizarre but this is my kind of socialist uh <laughs> socialist hat on is i think they're looking at it totally in the wrong way which is they're prioritizing the print they're thinking let's they're cutting it at the wrong end so basically in try, instead of trying to make the 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 massive divide between the Premier League and the EFL smaller. Their aim is basically to cut the EFL to suit the divide which is there at the moment. Instead of saying, right, we're going to redistribute, we're going to basically we're going to make the Premier League not as gargantuan as it is. If they were actually if they actually cared about the sport and the traditions and the fans, and actually you know for a lot of us it doesn't really matter what division we're in. Like mm-hmm. I like being in the Premier League. Don't get me wrong, but. I, I've said this a lot. I enjoyed following the Albion just as much, probably more, when we're in the lower leagues. Yeah. To me, it's not about what division you're in. I'd still enjoy mm. football just as much. So it seems to me that they're, yeah. it's, it's, it, they're running it. They're, they're obviously looking at it from a business point of view and where, where can we make the most amount of money. But actually, they're looking at it, in my view, from the wrong way round. And while, yeah. while football is a money-making yeah. money and all that, football for fans is nothing like a business, which is why... It, always a little bit annoys me when Paul Barber says customer, because frankly, a customer wouldn't carry on going after they've seen us get beaten, you know, 3-0 at some, you know, Oldham or something like that on a Tuesday night, or 7-1 at Huddersfield on a Tuesday night. As a customer, I would stop going on that basis. As a football fan, I'd carry on going. Customers are yeah, much more people. They're people who look at things and say, I didn't get very good value for money, so I'll go elsewhere. Fans are people who actually have a passion for something, so I'll actually keep on going. If if, Brian, mm. if football fans were customers, all of them, they'd all be supporting Man U Liverpool because they get the best value for what they're watching. Mm. Yeah. Well, two of the other proposals, were, um, we mentioned the league cupping potentially being abolished. I've been a long-term advocate of some changes, maybe radical changes to the league cup. I'm not sure this is quite what I would have had in mind. I would think making it literally the league cup, as in the EFL uh, league cup, and not having Premier League teams in might be one option, then they don't have to worry about that. So the the EFL clubs can do what they want. And then you get teams like Derby, Sheffield Wednesday, whoever might win a trophy where they're maybe not going to at the moment. I'm missing the Italian cup. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, the, that's one thing. The other thing is part of the proposal is allowing up to four players to be loaned to one particular club. And I think there's, there's various other attached conditions with that where it would allow effectively a compromised version of the B team proposal, which either coincidentally or not, Soriano, the Manchester City, I think he's chief executive, um, has reiterated his interest in having B teams in the lower leagues of the EFL, which I find vastly um, miss, well, out of step with uh, the public feeling. It's, I, I find the, the notion, quite frankly, ridiculous and vile. I don't think a B team should ever exist in our structure. But this is the other short termism, isn't it? He's obviously not realised that Man City were in the AFL not that long ago. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm, so I'm guardedly interested in the, the idea of having large numbers loaned to one club. You can see that could be a compromise that could maybe pacify both parties. It could, could benefit both parties. But B teams outright is absolutely out for me. Can they not do that currently then? I thought it was, I knew it was a limit in the Premier League, but I didn't know if there was a limit in the lower leagues as well. Yeah, I'm not sure what the exact conditions are, but it was, it was certainly going to involve a, a greater amount of loan-to-one club possibility than the, we've got. The other thing I just want to pick up is Raymond's idea, of what, what, or the comment between Raymond and Robin about 
the whole idea of how much each tub gets and that sort of thing. I, I agree in principle completely that you should pay more to teams who need it more. But is there a competition issue in that? Is it against the idea of competition to actually give more money to some teams? Not I'm saying morally, I'm saying legally. Is it right? Well, I think the interesting point there is actually if you're, going to, if you're going to talk about financial fair play, what they've always said is they don't want clubs being reliant on having an owner pouring money in. They want them to run sustainably. So therefore, mm. you've got to treat every business as if they don't have a rich owner because you can't have it both ways. Yeah. When it suits you, you can't use financial fair play to stop clubs overspending. So therefore, yeah, when they scrap financial fair play, I think it's oh, it's a nonsense. It hinders teams who actually, you know, it hinders the current, you know, a, a team actually having a local owner who's really rich actually bring them up, and it basically means the top six are even more dominant. So I, exactly. I actually put financial fair play, but I put even I put financial penalties to the owners in place for administration. So they actually will get fined rather than just losing points. They get fined heavily at the owners personally if a team goes into administration or has financial problems. And then they would have the, in their interest not to do it rather than just losing points, which if they've lost interest in the club doesn't matter to them. Yeah. Well, I think right, I'm going to have to go in a couple of minutes, chat, because yeah. I've got... Yeah, Robert's uh... got to go. So um, on that basis, before we finish our, our debate on uh, Project Big Picture, um, quickly get your view ahead of our later preview on the subject of the, uh, the Palace game. Uh, Robin, how do you fancy our chances? What do you think is going to happen? What do you think we need to do to win? Uh, I think it's going to be a mirror of exactly what happened, which is we're going to be the better team, but we'll get turned over. Oh, the negativism is back. That's more like it. <laughs> well, we've been missing that, Robin. I'm, I'm glad it's back. It's, it suits you, sir. And, um, and usually we do a lot better when you, when you do that, actually. So that's good. <laughs> so what's the That's my short and sweet answer. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting because obviously there's going to be no crowd. So it's yeah. going to be interesting to see how the how a dark... We haven't really played a, proper, a properly kind of needle match. Without obviously we've mm. had you know the Arsenal main night, but you know we've obviously had high profile games without, but we've not really had one where traditionally the crowd would really have a kind of a role to play. So I think it will be interesting to see that element yeah. to it in this kind of fixture. Well, uh, uh, Robin, Robin, before you go, and and what do you think our chances of scoring goals will be with perhaps only one striker if we're lucky? Um. I think, I mean, bizarrely, I think we, we've created a lot of chances. I think the worry is just that the lack of depth rather than the lack of quality, I think. Um, so I think we, we, we've looked dangerous, but I think it's, as ever, it's, uh, it's converting the chances, isn't it? I mean, Trossard is already looking a bit more productive, a bit more kind of efficient, I think, this season. But I mean, I, I, say, I, don't think, I think it's, I think it's going to be a tight, I think it'll be a tight game again. Um, obviously, you know, most of the games we've had against them recently yeah. have been fairly tight. So, it has to be said, we scored eight goals in four games. Our problem yeah, has exactly. been goals. It's been conceding. But, but we, but we can, uh, last season we had conceded seven in, in four games and then scored four. This season we'd scored eight, but we've conceded ten. But we've got some big games out of the way, though, so not too bad. Anyway, thanks very much to Robin for joining us. Um, very much appreciated. We will just continue f- uh, with the rest of part two now, just for a moment or two. To big picture, uh, if I can. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I mean, as you know, uh, Russell, I, I, 
I mean, my recommendation is if if they were so keen, Liverpool and Manchester United, and, and on the Premier League going down from uh, 20 to 18 teams, which I'm very against, then it strikes me that they've volunteered themselves, uh, as I've said, uh, to being demoted. And if we demote them down to League Two, which is my suggestion, they're going to get a lot of interest and big crowds. I mean, all of the other league teams playing against them in League Two are going to have record crowds. It'd be the one <laughs> time, first time they'll have the opportunity of, of Liverpool coming to their ground or Manchester United, other than but the lack of a draw in the FA Cup. So that, that would be hugely yeah. useful. And all their supporters would, of course, be able to go, and probably virtually all their supporters could go and watch at Manchester United, where there'll be three or 4,000 seats made available uh, on the basis of of the rules that you have to give it. So they can all oh, go yeah. the top club. So it has to, demoting them down to League Two would stimulate the lower leagues as they progress back up through it. Of course, they wouldn't have <laughs> I love it, Raymond. This is the rant. They wouldn't be able to play in the Champions League. They'd lose all their top players, which means they wouldn't guarantee, it wouldn't be guaranteed that they'd get back up there. And incidentally, for what it's worth, the point that was made earlier, that about uh, the only two clubs I ha haven't seen at lower levels play Brighton are Arsenal and Everton. But I saw Liverpool play right. in Division 2. I saw Manchester City. I saw Spurs. I've seen Chelsea. You know, all of them. Well, a, a few responses to that. First of all, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is what is known in the trade as a Raymondism, the uh, proposals you've just heard before you there. There's many of these magnificent specimens that we could, we, we could uh, relate to past and I'm sure in the future as well. Um, interesting notion. I mean, one thing I'd say about that is Liverpool and Man U fans would get a rare chance to tick off the, well, the unseen grounds in the... Uh, 90 club, because it'll be a 90 club then, won't it? Not a 92 club. But um, there'll be a rare chance for them to get some of the, to some of the stadiums they haven't been to. So that will be one bonus. I guess the other thing is if they're proposing 250 million payouts, which some of the Premier League clubs say they can't really afford, they've got to look after themselves first, Paul Barber included, maybe Liverpool and Man, you pay the whole 250 million. That would oh, be quite nice. Great idea. Great idea. <laughs> Before the demotion, obviously. <laughs> You're, 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 you're they didn't get the money. The <laughs> yeah, so I'm getting into Raymond mode here, aren't I? Yeah. Sorry, Peter, go on. <laughs> I say, would they then drop down and then get some of the money themselves back as a result of the payment, or would they be a, a would they not? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> They'll be paying themselves indirectly. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's interesting. What, one thing I wanted to say, actually, before we finish with this subject is um, David Bradley, I think his name is, resigning from the EFL after a um, short time, only a short time there. Um, this was in relation to Rick Parry's uh, apparent participation in, in Project um, Big Picture. Um, interesting, he was there a short time. He's very highly regarded. He was um, chief exec at Bradford and very well thought of there, apparently elsewhere as well where he's been, um, generally in the football community. Um, I think he was touted to get the job at the EFL, but he's fit, seen fit to resign quite early into his tenure there. He has he's cited various reasons, but I find it interesting that he's left so soon, just on the coattails of the situation being revealed regarding it's a, the project. It's a very big coincidence, I would say. It is, isn't it? That's all it is, I'm sure. Yeah. We're not suggesting anything, of course. But we're, we're not just... conspiracy theorists here. It's, it's a very big coincidence. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Unfortunate timing. <laughs> 
<laughs> so we'll, we'll leave that there. I mean, one thing for sure, we do know, I mean, Andy Pilly of Fleetwood's come out. Uh, we've had Dale Vince at Fleetwood, at um, Forest Green. I think the um, owners or chief executives of Colchester, Cheltenham, Walsall, various other clubs, and I'm sure plenty of others who haven't stated publicly, are, are all in favour of bailouts, obviously, because they need it. It's not just greed, it's, it's want and it's, it's need. Um, there's got to be a solution. To we, we hope we find a suitable one in the end, which provides um, safety and security for those clubs, but also doesn't compromise the fabric of the game, yeah. which Arsene Wenger in his interview said he, he thinks the pyramid system gets destroyed under the proposals as they were first presented. Um, finally, Raymond, to you, you were going to say something else well, about I've that. I'm actually going to say that the, 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 I think it's the Cambridge United chairman sort of said that actually you know, I'll come back to something else that if, if they actually propose 18 clubs now for the PL you know, what guarantees are they going to be once they control it if they had controlled it and won the vote that they wouldn't be changing everything else so you know, I know I refer to it in terms of the money but you know, there's no guarantee that for the EFL clubs that what they're being promised will be sustained. And this is where I think Gary Neville's idea, uh, as it's all part of the restructuring, that there should be an independent body which governs football uh, over and above the Premier League, the EFL and everything else. There should be something truly independent that can actually oversee it. It's, too, it's become too big a business, too big of everything, not to have that independent stance. Like a, a court, like a Supreme Court, but not where somebody can load the dice by having yeah. a supreme majority. Well, I was going to say, to, I'll, I'll come to you in a second, Peter, just very quickly. I was going to say on that matter, could you not also have a trust fund established, perhaps by that governing body you're mentioning, that could replace the FA, who are useless, it seems, um, who, who could have any money that is put from the Premier League towards the EFL survival um, fund, shall we say, could that not be put in trust and administered by this body so that the right money goes to the right people directly, isn't misspent by owners, disreputable or otherwise, or incompetent, um, so that the right money is spent on the right things that directly pay bills, that directly facilitate survival, rather than being just donated to the clubs, where they, there's the possibility that it could be misspent, shall we say. But, but Peter, you were going to speak now. I was going to say, just going back slightly to some of the other... I think there's a lot of, you know, kind of, as we said, there's one or two things where you can understand the proposals, one or two things where you, you can't. Obviously, the EFL chairman are going to be in favour overall, yeah, exactly, because they want their money. And especially clubs who haven't got an interest in playing, or won't be in the Premier League ever, probably. They'll be like, well, it won't make any difference. And where I, I, I can understand something like the Premier League going down to 18 clubs in the longer term. I mean, I don't, yeah. think it's, I, I don't agree with it in terms of Brighton's benefit, but I think... A lot of European leagues are 18 teams. There's a lot of European leagues don't have a second cup. I would agree with it on principle, possibly. You know, I'm not saying I would, but I could see the logic to it. If I didn't think that they're going to use that spare time not to rest their players so they'd be okay for England, but to play these bloody expensive friendly tours in, in Asia or in Australia or in USA to basically line the coffers of their the big six further. And that's Absolutely. what they do with it. There wouldn't be any resting of players that, you know, because I mean, the argument is England struggle at tournaments because their players have more of a workload. I can see that argument. If that was the case, and we were going to have more, you know, more time off, less less games, and then be better prepared for big tournaments, even the big clubs do better in Champions League at times, you know, because they've got more 
three midweeks or something like that. I kind of accept it. But yeah, it's just going to end up with them going to like Asia and, and Australia and America for massive tours to get like to get huge money, money more money for their clubs. And so it's not going to benefit the players in terms of long term anyway. Yeah, very good point. Uh, coming back to your point, uh, Russell, um, about the trust, I think I think there's a sort of hybrid case for, for halfway where a certain amount, of, I mean, let's take the 25% they're saying of all revenue goes down to the EFL. I would take your idea and perhaps give them 15%, which they can do with, with what they want. The other 10%, as it were, so 40% of 25%, uh, that actually um, goes into a trust fund, as you say, to be able to rescue clubs, which is uh, done under very controlled conditions. So that yeah. don't get the sort of situation that happened to Bury happening again. But equally, where a club like Wigan has done nothing wrong and that, and the FA or the EFL or somebody hasn't done the proper due diligence on the owner, that Wigan, not for football reasons, but purely because of the owner, new owner not putting any money in, that they got deducted a whole lot of points and moved to third division. In my way, it really, it wasn't equitable and it wasn't right. The rules meant that it happened, but the rules you know, were an ass in that sense and they didn't actually allow for exceptional circumstances where perhaps a, a trust fund could have been used in that instance, your idea, who said, well, yeah. we will loan you interest-free, Wigan, while this situation is sorted out. So you will not get demoted as, as, based on your playing record, but you, you have got a window in which to sort this out. And, and, and yeah, the players they were far better off if they you know, managed to not go into administration. They'd have been better off financially if they have got that and then sold a couple of their players for the money they would have got otherwise. I think it's Robinson or whatever, the fullback would have went for about went for like nine million in January, except for an injury, and then went for like two million into Fulham. So they, yeah, they lost that. Yeah. I I still don't get why Wigan got the points deducted last season, Sheffield Wednesday got away with it and uh, and had it this thing. Yeah. Just on different circumstances, but ultimately the same sort of yeah. level of breach, isn't it? So why not last season? It was a technicality as to when the Sheffield Wednesday uh, case in inverted commas was hurt. Yeah. And, and I think it happened after a certain date, which meant therefore they couldn't have it. The the, the points deduction applied retrospect, uh, uh, retrospectively. I mean, it was just you know a twenty four. I mean, almost exactly twenty four forty eight hour difference. Yeah. It, yes, it, it was during the season, wasn't it? Because they because um teams were were com, uh, complained to the FA about it. Is it Chelsea or whatever or Barn? One of the Chelsea, I think, was you know, appealed against it because they would have been the one who benefited. It's very odd. Yeah. I find, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's very weird. I surprised Charlton, whoever it was, whoever was the third team, didn't actually bring, bring a case. I'm surprised they didn't. But well, I think there were some, there were some details in the situation which precluded it. It wouldn't have stood up, I think. According to Kieran on, on the price of football, I think he said um, there were certain circumstantial differences that would have made it just not. It wouldn't have been a case. Um, the other thing, finally, for me is that um, I think there's an issue with allowing, and, and this is a subject Kieran talks about on Price of Football quite a bit, um, allowing uh, grounds to be separated from clubs. That should be outlawed. It should be made constitutionally un, or in, insurmountable. It shouldn't be changeable. That um, a law should be put into place and not be changeable 
that you are not allowed to separate a club from its ground unless or until funding, planning permission and work begins on a new stadium as and when that's appropriate. Otherwise, you stay where you are. Too many clubs are selling the grounds to themselves. They're, they have disreputable owners who are trying to screw the club over and then sell real estate, which I'm pretty sure is the kind of thing that certain gentlemen in Bury might be thinking of doing, shall we say, allegedly. Those clubs are so desperate to get that money from the Premier League, aren't they? And they can't well, live yeah. in the confines of the financial fair play. Yeah. Well, Bury had both both in one, didn't they? They've got a they've got a, an asset stripper in charge now of, of a of a dead skeleton of a club, essentially the old club. Yeah. Um, thankfully, there's a phoenix growing. But the but the previous owner was somebody who had the opposite problem. He was just not managing the finances well. He had yeah. too much ambition too soon and got them into trouble in the first place by overstretching. Which yeah. is pretty much what happened but, to the Albion. They're a lot but, longer term. But we had owners originally who stripped yeah, the right. clubs, then cost us for like that's a decade right. before. And led to Archer and Stanley taking over. I mean, it's yeah, it's a classic kind of story, isn't it? Really. I thought the football authorities had learnt the lesson. Uh, put it on TV at that. But uh, I thought the the football authorities had learnt the lesson about grounds and clubs as a result of our experience. And that was what yeah. you know, twenty five years ago. But obviously, people have short short memories, and obviously had forgotten. But Look, coming before, to the your form, wasn't it, who voted for it, which included the club. So the club chairman. Were voting for they could do that themselves, I think, pretty much. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it was, but coming back to your point about the changes, Peter, and, and things, that one of the things that came up earlier in discussion was that, uh, sort of earlier this afternoon, was the fact that if you go down in a PL from 20 to 18 clubs, it, it actually is counterproductive from the England team viewpoint. Not that anybody cares about that these days, but it's, uh, but nonetheless, there'd be less chance of English players playing in the Premier League and uh, you know, less that there's a cultural thing to say you've got to have less foreign players which I, I don't think the big six clubs would want um, you know, they, they want to well, have right. that. I mean the message look, I mean, look at Man City who are hoping in next May to be able to get hold of Messi for example um, so I think that if you go down to a smaller and smaller Premier League that the national team will suffer uh, well, Raymond, um, I, don't, I don't think we need to worry about that because they're all playing in Germany now, so it's all right. <laughs> also, if Albion were in the top flight, it would be down to 17 teams that could have England players selected from the Premier League. Yeah. Seeing a Southgate and, wouldn't touch any of our players, but absolutely unknown. Speaking of Germany, by the way, they're, they're all, um, they've, they've got things sorted. They started restart sooner. They've started the new season sooner. They've got 18 clubs in their, in their division with one cup competition. They're going to be absolutely fine, despite having an unremarkable team at Euro 2020 slash 2021, aren't they? Um, so maybe our England players being in that division, the more the merrier. Russell, that you, you touched on, which was the proposal in, in, in big picture on loans, because it wasn't just four to one club. What, what the danger there was, that I understood it, was that People like the Chelsea's of this world, which they have been doing anyway, will have so get all the young talents and sweep up all the young talents and then loan them out to other clubs in the EFL to develop. So well, like that, us, you mean. that they are actually um, sort of well, we're just following the trend, aren't we? But I mean, it would make it even easier for them if they control the PL to be able to do that, and it would make it mm. harder for 
for the youngsters to come through um, from lower leagues. And one looks at Southampton, who's before they were back in the PL, sold people like Bale and, and uh, uh, Walcott and various other people. I think that part of the lifeblood of EFL clubs is being able to develop young talent and sell it on. And I think, for example, Colin Grant, who's just signed for, uh, been signed by uh, WBA from Huddersfield. I mean, Charlton sold him only for a couple of million, but they have, I think, got something like a 20% cut of any profit above between the 2 million and the 15 million that he went for. So they've actually just landed something over 2 million quid, courtesy of that deal. Those sort of things are important for the EFL clubs. That's part of their potential revenue stream. And I don't Mm -hmm. think it should be... And if the big clubs can loan out more players to more clubs, that will get exacerbated. Okay. Well, on that note, I think we'll finish part two there. Uh, The cat was yawning right next to me. I don't know if that's a sign of anything, but... uh... Oh, I didn't mean to go on so long. (laughs) But we'll, we'll break away for our second interval now. And in part three, we'll be talking about a few bits of other news and then we'll be previewing the Palace game. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be back in just a moment. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.